the Gospel of John in the 8th chapter, and we'll look at one verse this morning, and then we'll be done with John chapter 8. For several weeks, we have been studying this passage, going through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings, and it describes a very intense and a determined attack by religious people against the Lord Jesus it's amazing thing to me that the people in Jesus' day who gave him the most conflict were not the publicans and the sinners, but it was the church-going people. And I wonder if the Lord were to return for a visit today, if he would not be more comfortable with the sinners and publicans than he would at most churches. But in these two chapters, chapter 7 and chapter 8, there are numerous charges and accusations made against the Lord, and he answers each one of them. And the longer the encounter goes, the more offensive the accusations, the more heated their side of the argument becomes. They question his credentials. They dismiss his claims to be the Son of God. They... Um, they make moves to arrest him. In fact, in the last verse of chapter 8, they have stones in their hands ready, ready to stone him. There's an amazing statement in verse 59 where it says, Then took they up stones to cast at Jesus, but Jesus hid himself. Hid himself. He doesn't hide himself because he is afraid of them or afraid of death. But he hides himself because it is not yet his time. But I just tried to picture that in mind. My mind, there is the Lord Jesus hiding behind a wall uh, in a secret closet. But he's hiding till they leave so he can leave. Jesus hid himself. And what has angered them so much is not just what he said about himself, but what he has said about them. Not only has he made claims to be the son of God, he has exposed them for who they truly are. If you were to go back to this chapter, the times that we have looked at it, he has said that, that you don't know God, that you are servants to sin, you are in bondage to the lust of your flesh, that you are going to die in your sins, that you are not the true children of Abraham. That's what he has said to them in this chapter. And that last charge, I think, really struck a nerve with them because um, they, they were very vocal about defending their lineage to Abraham. You see, Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel, and they believed that just being a son of Abraham made them a son of God. They believed that they were the children of God just by natural birth, by their natural ancestry as the children of Abraham. And so there becomes a back and forth in this chapter about fathers, who your real father is. If you look in verse number 38, he says, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. I have a father, and you have a father. And we both speak and do what we have heard with our father, but I have a different father than what you have. See that? Verse 39, then answered 
They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto him, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. If you were truly the sons of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham, like father, like son. But you are nothing like Abraham. Verse 41. You do the deeds of your father. Then they say to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he that sent me. You claim God as your father, just like you claim Abraham as your father. But if God were your father, you'd love me. You're nothing like Abraham and you are nothing like God. So neither Abraham nor God is your father. So there's a conversation about fathers. There's a very common misconception in this world that all children are the children of God. Called the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. That we are all God's children. Doesn't matter what you believe, what religion you follow. Doesn't matter, Hindu, Buddhist, Catholic, Baptist, that we are all the children of God. You won't find that in the Bible. God is our creator, but he is not all men's father. And what Jesus is saying is that just because you can trace your family line back to Abraham doesn't mean that God in heaven is your father. But if Abraham's not your father, if God's not your father, then who is your father? He's going to answer in verse number 44. You're of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. I'm just going to preach that one verse, that one verse this morning, and then we'll, we'll move on because we've been several weeks in chapter 8. And I just want to just emphasize that one verse that I want to preach on, is the devil your daddy? Is the devil your daddy? Imagine the horror for these people to hear that your daddy is the devil. That's what he said, ain't it? He said, you just like him. You are more like the devil than you are God. So we conclude that he's your daddy. <laughs> your works, your spirit, your attitude, your hatred of Christ, your unbelief, all points to who your true father is and it is the devil. It has become a popular thing in our day to trace your ancestry back as far as you can. Some of y'all may have done that, ancestry.com or whatever it might be. And you would do that because it would be interesting to know if you were the great, 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 great grandson of George Washington or Benjamin Franklin or somebody famous. How would you like to discover that you have somebody famous been your family tree all the way back there? Well, that would be significant to you, but it wouldn't add anything to your life. It would make you a bit, I don't know how good it would help you, but anyway. And then, maybe you don't want to know. 
Maybe you're afraid that all this backler or Hatfields and McCoys and some con man, and I, I really, I just don't want to know who is on that family tree. But everybody has a family, right? Everybody has a family, and if you ran, if you ran your ancestry back far enough, and I ran my ancestry back far enough, somewhere you and I are going to meet and discover we came from the same tree. You're going to discover that we are related somehow. Every man in here, every man in here goes back to Adam. We are all one family in the flesh. But Jesus is speaking of a spiritual family here. You are either in the family of God or you are in the family of Satan. Now you could go out on the street, you can ask a hundred people, which family are you in? And 99 of them are going to say that I am in the family of God. But that's not exactly how Jesus saw it. And we would have understood it. We would have understood it if Jesus had gone to the bars and the dives and the honky-tonks and, and told them that the devil is your daddy. But Jesus is looking at the super pious, the extra-religious, the ultra-spiritual Pharisees and hypocrites. They dedicated their lives to a strict adherence of the law. In fact, the law wasn't even strict enough for them, so they had to add some extra stipulations and rules just to make it really hard. And these men would tell you that they are spiritual. There's no humility in them that these men are the gatekeepers of the gatekeepers of the kingdom. And Jesus looked at them and said, the devil is your daddy. Well, that's not very nice, is it? That would be offensive. He looks at him, points his finger at him, says, you're of your father, the devil. I'll give you three thoughts about the devil from this verse. Three thoughts about the devil and I'm, I'm done. Number one, number one, the certainty of the devil. There is a religion called Christian science. It is neither Christian nor science. They claim that they believe in the existence of a devil, but he's not a person. It is just Evil is what it is. But Jesus speaks of the devil as a real being. Mark this down. He is not an impersonal force. It is not just the personification of evil. He, 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 is, he is a fallen angelic being. He was created perfect in all of his ways. He was the anointed cherub of heaven. He was created with beauty and power and great wisdom, but he became lifted up in his heart because of pride. And because of his pride, he wanted the worship that was due to God alone. And as a consequence, he was cast out of heaven. Now, rarely do we ever come to church to talk about the devil. We come to talk about the Lord Jesus and about God. But there are two extremes when you think about the devil. There are some people who are so fascinated with the devil and the spirit world that their entire ministry is a demon-fighting ministry. I think I mentioned this when I was preaching through 1 Peter 5 and talking about be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion. And there are some people that they emphasize the spiritual warfare and we might ought to emphasize it more, but you can go to seed on anything and you spend so much time looking for the devil that you don't have time looking for Jesus. So, so I've never gotten involved in all of that. I, I really would emphasize truth instead of error, emphasize Jesus instead of the devil. So there are some that see a demon behind every tree. However, there are others that go to the other extreme and they live as if there is not a devil. Playing with sin and temptation in the world as if the devil does not exist. 
And the spirit world is a realm that, that we, know, we know very little about. The, the Bible gives us a little bit of insight, but it doesn't give us a whole lot. But it does give us enough information to know that there is a devil. He is a dangerous enemy, and he is out to destroy your life. And we shouldn't get up every day and think about the devil and look for the devil, but be aware of the devil and his devices. The Bible says that we are not ignorant of his devices. 1 Peter 5, is it, is it 7 or 8? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. That, 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 that is the devil. Can I tell you that Satan is actively on the prowl right now looking for lives that he can destroy. The devil pretends to be your friend, but he is your enemy. He hates Jesus Christ. He hates the nation of Israel. He hates the church. He hates the family. The devil tears up marriages and the devil causes division in a church and he, and he, and he seduces church members with, with, with false doctrine and, and worldly living and he disguises himself as an angel of light and he seeks to influence the church through his emissaries to try to destroy it and the devil hates you and I hate the devil. And you ought to hate him as well. That's why 1 Peter 5 says, be sober, be sober. To be sober is to be serious-minded. And I think that you and I need to be serious-minded about living for Jesus. Now, don't be asleep to the temptations of life. Be sober, be vigilant, be, be watchful of your surroundings, the temptations, the things that the devil is throwing at you. He says in that passage, whom ye resist, steadfast in the faith. You fight a good warfare by having a strong faith and having a good conscience toward God. The, the Bible never tells you, the Bible never tells you to bind Satan. But it also doesn't tell you to, to it, it doesn't tell you to bind Satan. It doesn't tell you to run from Satan. It tells you to stand in the truth and be firm in Christ, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We don't run from the devil, but I don't go looking for the devil. You just stand in truth. And all of us, all of us this morning are fodder for the devil without the help of God. You are no match for the devil, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I feel like preaching just a little bit if you wanted to hear it. Amen. The devil is real and he's out to destroy your life, but I'm grateful that there's somebody inside of me that is greater than the devil. And Satan should have no foothold in your family. I don't want him to get my children or my grandchildren. I don't want him to mess up our church. I don't want him to destroy any marriages. And so we're not ignorant of his devices. The certainty of the devil. But then in our text, I want to say a word about the character of the devil. And boy, Jesus really exposes him here. Look what Jesus says about him in verse 44. He says, you're of your father, the devil, the lust of your father, he will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's a murderer from the beginning. Now, what constitutes murder? You say taking another person's life. No, 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 that's too broad. You can take somebody's life in self-defense. Government can take somebody's life in capital punishment. 
You may have to take somebody's life in war, and that's not murder. So here's what murder is. Murder is taking another human life without divine warrant. Taking another human life without divine warrant. And Jesus said that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. So I'm wondering how was he a murderer? Because you know what the being refers to. We're going back to Genesis chapter 3, right? In fact, in fact, turn back there for just, just for a minute. If, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, where Satan held his first interaction with the human race. He, he comes to Eve as a beautiful serpent, but he didn't bite her and inject her body with poison. He didn't come with a weapon and chop her up with a sword or stomp her to the ground. He didn't do that. Here's what he did. He talked to her. But everything that he told her was a lie. And that's the second characteristic of the devil in our text. He's a liar. His murder choice is a lie. He does more death and destruction with a lie than anything else. And that's what Jesus tells us. He tells us that his motive is murder, his method is to lie. The devil wants to bring death to youth, he wants to bring death to life, to purity, to happiness, to joy, to holiness. He wants to bring physical death and soulish death and spiritual death and eternal death and the second death and death in the lake of fire. He wants to bring death and the way that he does that is he does it through a lie. Suppose Satan had come to Eve and just said, I am going to be perfectly honest with you. I want you to take this forbidden fruit because it will damn your soul to hell and it will plunge the entire human race into sin. I, 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 I hate you, I hate God, and I want you to take this fruit because I know of the crime and the disease and the heartbreak that it's going to cause to the world. I want to curse the world and I need you to take this fruit so I can do that. She would never touch it. But he lied to her. Look, look at Genesis, are you, are you there Genesis three? Look at this. I'll give you a little, little, little outline right here. Look, look at verse number one. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made and he said, he said, Unto the woman. You ought to underline that word. He said unto the woman. Look at verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent. Look at verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman. Here's the first thing that you have in Genesis 3. You have a dialogue talking place, taking place. The devil wants to talk. And the first thing he does is he engages Eve in a conversation. Here's what's happening. They are having a dialogue about what God has said. What God said is now up for discussion. Opinions are being offered on what God said. Now here's my question for you. What business does Eve have in getting into a dialogue with the devil? Her, her first mistake 
was in arguing with the devil over what God has said. The best thing that she could have done is said, God said it and leave it right there. We're not having the conversation. By the way, isn't that what Jesus did when the devil came to tempt him? The devil came to tempt him and here's what Jesus said, it is written. It is written. It is written. We're not talking about it, it is written. It is written, this is what God has said. You will have people in your life who will wanna question everything that you believe. You will have cult members knock on your door and they wanna have a Bible study. They don't wanna have a Bible study. They wanna debate about what God has said. You will have preachers on the radio and the television and they'll try to cause the discussion about what God has said. And the best thing is to not have the conversation. Don't start the dialogue. The dialogue going on. But, but look in verse number one. Here's what he said. Yea, hath God said, the dialogue opens up to doubt. And I can almost hear the sneer in his voice, but the, the sarcasm. He doesn't come right out and call God a liar, but he drops the hint. He makes the suggestion that maybe God hadn't told you everything. But maybe God is leaving something out. Here's what he does. He puts a question mark on the word of God. Are you sure you heard that correctly? Huh? Are you, are you sure that's just, not, that's just not his interpretation? Maybe, maybe he didn't say what you thought he said. Yea, hath God said. The first lie the devil tells is on God. He smears the character of God because if he can get you thinking negatively about God, he's got you. So there's a dialogue and there's doubt. But then look in verse number three. The woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But, verse three, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now we have denial. By the way, in verse number, in verse number three, neither shall ye touch it. God didn't say that. Now we are adding to the God, word of God, but in verse four, the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. He has conditioned her mind to question the word of God so that when he openly defies God, she is conditioned to accept it. He has just boldly called God a liar. This is what God said to you, but he lied to you. He tells her that you can sin without impunity. The wages of sin is not death. Can I tell you that the devil is a liar? He's a liar. Denial. Look in verse number five. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now we have delusion. He slanders God by telling Eve that God is trying to keep something good away from you. He knows the good that will happen. He knows what you'll be like if you eat that fruit. So God has forbidden you so he can keep you down. God doesn't want the best for you. It's just his way of depriving you of what you, you think the devil still tells that lie? Oh, he's still telling that lie. You, you know what's best for you. Your, your parents, they're just trying to keep you down. You need to express yourself. You, you know how you want to live your life. They shouldn't be able to tell you what you can't do. You, you, uh -huh. Oh, I still tell the same lie. 
He has deceived Eve into thinking that she could live her life independent of God. I'm, I'm going to liberate you. Uh, uh, we're we're going to have true liberty. You should make your own choices. You decide which fruit you can eat and which you cannot eat. And the devil has sold that lie to millions and millions of people. He's deluded men and women to thinking that you can live your life apart from God and the devil is not trying to get Eve to be a devil. He just wants her to be her own person to just make your own decisions. Now look, the devil, the devil is not so much concerned that he gets you drunk or that he gets you committing some fornication or some gross sin of the flesh. He is not disappointed that you're not a doper or that you're not a streetwalker. Here's what he'd like for you to do. He'd like for you to put on a nice suit, put a Bible under your arm, come to a Baptist church, sit in a pew, and be your own man. Have a little religion, but live your life without God. That's what the devil wants. Look at verse six. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired, to make one wise. She has bought the lie, and her desires have been perverted because for the first time now, she desires what God has forbidden. God will take, the devil will take a God-given desire in your heart and he will pervert it so that it becomes a perversion. The desire for food is natural. Gluttony is a perversion of that. The desire for, for provision is natural, but covetousness and greed is a perversion of that desire. That's exactly what he's done. Now look at her decision in verse six. She took of the fruit thereof and did Eat. Now later on, she's going to say that the devil made me do it, but he didn't. The decision is her own decision. The devil deceived her, but the decision lay squarely on her shoulders. She's going to pay the price for this. And can I tell you, there are not enough demons in hell to make you sin or cause you to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. If the devil could make you deny Jesus, he'd make us all deny Jesus. And the reason why he doesn't is because he cannot. God gave you a will so you can say yes or you can say no. I'll give an invitation just a few minutes and, and I'll invite sinners to come and trust the Lord Jesus as their savior. And the devil will give you a thousand and one excuses why you ought not to. That's all that he can do. He can't stop you from coming. On the other hand, I'm praying, as he's saying this a little bit ago, I'm praying the Holy Spirit will convict somebody's heart and convince you that what I am preaching this morning is the absolute truth. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and convict you of your sin and invite you to come to Jesus. And if he does that, that'd be a wonderful thing, but he's not gonna force you down the aisle. It is your decision. There are not enough demons in hell to keep you from trusting Christ as your savior. And there are not, there are not enough angels in heaven to force you down the aisle. God gives you a choice. You can say yes or no. And Eve has made a choice and her choice bound her to her sin. Now I, I, I could go deep in the passage and I, I'm, I, I'm getting off track, all right? But, but do you see that he's a liar? Do you see that? That's what I'm trying to say. He's a liar. 
And he lied to Eve and to the entire human race through his lying. And here's what Jesus said about him. Jesus said that when he speaketh the lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, watch this, and the father of it. So in John chapter 8, Jesus doubles down on the lies of the devil. He is a liar and the father of it. I know, I know this is not shouting for Sunday morning. I understand that, all right? But, but it, is, it, it, it is the text. We live in a world where lying is more natural to people than telling the truth. That people would just as soon tell a lie as they would tell the truth. It becomes natural. Can, can I show you a verse? Can I show you a verse? Go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, all right? Re Revelation 21. And look at a verse here. Revelation chapter 21, and I, I just, I just, this is just the direction we need to go. But Revelation 21, look at verse number 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. A liar is next door to the sorcerer and the whoremonger. And they're all neighbors in hell. And since Satan is the father of lies, when you lie, you become like Satan. But let me show you where we're at. Let me show you where we're at. Turn the page. Turn the page, chapter 22. Let me show you where we're at. Look at verse 15. For without, for without of the city, for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. We live in a society that loves the lies that they are told. We live in a society where they would rather you tell them a lie than tell them the truth. Isn't that an amazing thing? Say, so why is that? Because 2 Thessalonians 2. The Bible says for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. In the last days, God will send a spirit of delusion that people will accept a lie. Four times in the Old Testament, the Bible says that God put a lying spirit in the heart of a false prophet. And that's what we are facing today. We are living in a land of a lying spirit, strong delusion, where people would rather you lie to them than tell them the truth. Sure. The, the news media is a lying spirit. Politicians, that is a lying spirit. There is a lot of lying going on. Most of what you hear in this world is a lie. And it's curious to me, it's curious to me that out of all of God's creatures, only humans lie. They have studies where animals will do things like hide their food, sneak up on you. That's not real honest. But they don't lie. Don't lie. But only humans, only humans lie. And lying is satanic. That, that's, why, that's why, thank God, my child rearing days are done. But that's why when you're raising children, 
You don't have to have many rules, but one of them better be, we don't lie. We tell the truth. If you come down hard anything, you come down on that. You don't have to have a lot of rules to raise kids, but one rule is we don't lie in this house. Because when you lie, you are in fellowship with the devil. Amen. And let me just say this right here. Let me just say this right here. I'm, I'm trying to find a quitting place. All right. So you pray for me. I believe that when you get saved, I believe that one of the things that the Holy Spirit will clean up is the lying. I believe that. God is the author of truth. Jesus is the way to truth and lie. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, John 15. The word is the word of truth. That's a whole lot of truth. And there's just too much truth in the Godhead to conceive of one of God's children that can't tell the truth. If, if, God, if, if God is your father, you share in his nature and his nature is true. Doesn't the Bible say that we are partakers of the divine nature? You share in his nature and his nature is true. So if you are not a partaker of the divine nature, then whose nature do you have? Amen. Amen. Peter said we're partakers of the divine nature. The only way for you to have somebody's nature it is to have a divine father. If you don't have a divine father, then who is your father? That's what Jesus said in John chapter 8. He said, the devil is your dad. I, I, I hate to harp on this. I really do. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just but, but listen, this is what I believe. If you are a new creature in Christ, you heard that, heard that verse? If old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. How come that does not include lying? And I know that sanctification is a process. I know you're not perfect the day after you got saved. There are some of you that used to cuss before you got saved, and it took you a little while to get all that cussing out of your system because it was just so natural. There were some of y'all that used to smoke before you got saved, and you smoked a little bit after you got saved, but eventually you quit. Some of y'all used to listen to country music and pop music before you got saved, but if you got saved, then you eventually are going to quit listening to that. Yep. All right, all right. Because here's what happens. Here's what happens. What happens, the Holy Spirit begins to convict you, and the conviction is not worth the cussing, so you quit the cussing. And the Holy Spirit convicts you, and the conviction is not worth the smoking, so you quit the smoking. Somebody help me now. And, and then the Holy Spirit convicts you, and the conviction is not worth the country music, so you quit the country music. And you just, you just quit is what you do. Amen. And if you're still as big a liar now as you were 20 years ago when you got saved, that ought to be a test of your salvation or at least a test of your sanctification. And it doesn't mean that you won't never lie again. It doesn't mean that you won't ever be careless with some facts. It doesn't mean that you are not ever forgetful and say things that you didn't know or you forgot or whatever it might be. That's a character flaw that needs to be cleaned up. But I am talking about the spirit of lying. And the spirit of lying is when you intentionally tell a lie or deceive somebody else for ulterior motives. And if you have that spirit of lying, you have to ask, where is the Holy Spirit inside of me? Does that make sense? telling you what is in the well is going to come up in the bucket. Amen. The tree only produces after its kind. Children of the devil deal in lies. Children of God deal in truth. When you deal in lies, you are doing what your daddy tells you to do. 
That's, that's, that's what the verse says. That's what the verse says. And by the way, the people Jesus are talking to are church-going, clean-living, tithe-giving people. They read the Bible, they pray, they fast, they give alms, and Jesus said to these people, your daddy is a devil because of the lies. Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? First John. First John talks about those who say that they fellowship with God and they walk in the darkness. Here's what John says. He says they lie and do not the truth. They lie unto others. But then a couple of verses later, John says, Now if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There are some people that tell a lie to others so long that they eventually believe their own lie. There are some people that know they ain't spiritual. They know they're carnal as goats, and they'll tell you that. Well, there are other people that are carnal as goats and, 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 and don't have an ounce of God in them, but yet they have convinced themselves that they are spiritual with all of their carnality. But then in John, 1 John 1, that next step was if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, him a liar, and his word is not us. We, we, we lie to God. Lie to God. God, I didn't do that. God, God I, I'm not that bad. When, when God convicts you of your sin and you resist, you're telling God, you got the wrong man, you're lying. Yes. Let, me, let me tell you something good. Tell you something good. All right, Anna, come to the piano. I got, I got to be done. And I, I won't even get to the rest of the message. Let, let, me, let me tell you something good. You didn't get to choose your earthly father. Right. You were born to who you were born to, and there was nothing you could do about it. You can disavow one another. You can disown one another. You could, a parent, father can give us parental rights. I guess a child could, could say, I don't want you to be my father. Change his name, whatever it might be. But in the flesh, your father is your father, and there's nothing you can do about it. You cannot help the family that you were born into physically or spiritually. You were born into the family of Satan. Here's the good news. You don't have to stay in the family. You don't have to stay in the family. I'm telling you, God is my father and his arms are open wide and he says, welcome into my family. Only God, only God can do that. Take you from one family and put you in another family. Sometimes when I'm traveling, I watch some YouTube videos, and I've gotten into this thing of watching court cases, paternity cases, child custody cases. I don't know why. <laughs> Keeps me awake in the middle of the night driving, trying to get home. But here's what I found. Here's what I found. Hang on to that. I'm done. That judge, that judge, when they stand before him, that judge has the right to determine paternity rights. That judge can take a child out of a home and put that child in a foster home. It's not a permanent solution, but it's temporary for the safety of the child. The, child, the judge can deem one parent unfit and give all of the rights to the other parent. The third judge can determine neither parent is fit and give the rights to somebody else outside the family. 
It could be in a situation of an adoption where if all the parties agree that the judge can legally declare that this child is no longer your child, but this child is legally belonged to another family, changed the name, all of the rights. The judge has the power to do all of that. But here's what I've yet to see a judge do is take the child into his own family. He's never taken the child <laughs> and said, I want you to be my son. I'm, I'm, I am going to assume all of the responsibilities for all the provisions and all the care. I'm going to give you my name. He's never done that. He's always assigned parental rights to somebody else, but he's never brought him into his own family. I want to tell you, there was a day, there was a day, there was a day when God Almighty, God Almighty reached out and took me out of the family of the devil and put me in his family, made me his son, made me his child, gave me his name, took on my care and the responsibility of him. What a father, what a father. 